Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Before you hear the next great podcast, we'd like to tell you about a new 90-second show which distills everything that President Donald Trump has said in the last 24 hours. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available at wherever you get this podcast. Uh, death totals, our numbers per million people are really uh, very, very strong. We're, we're very proud of the job we've done. Look for a link in this here podcast description or search for What Has He Said Now in all the usual places. Hello and welcome to The Chills. Here we are, the audio sensation which forgets to mention football until much later. It's been a funny week. Matt Lucas showed that he has all the ability to PM and has advice that has been discombobulated. That's confusing to those that haven't been educated in a Victorian post school. And now it's all up to common sense as to whether we survive or not. A man with nails is here who will always enlighten and examine the week that's been. Andy, how are you? I'm... All right, as we move into week eight of the lockdown. I was just going to ask you what week. <laughs> yeah, week eight, two months. Um, yeah, I'm getting a bit bored now. Are you, but are you coping? I'm coping, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's not to cope about? I mean, it's, it's not difficult, is it? Get up, do your stuff. I mean, it's just boredom, really, now. I'm just getting, I'm getting itchy feet. But um, they have said that I can go fishing now, so... I like a bit of fishing, so that that'll allow me to get out and, and about and, and and do a bit of angling, which will be fun. Yeah, I mean the, <clears throat> things like fishing and and golf, I guess, to a greater or lesser extent. The, these all seem like things that are good for people to do for mental wealth and health. Um, you must have missed it a lot because you do go quite a bit when you can, don't you? Yeah, I haven't I haven't been as as much as I would have liked in recent years just because I've been busy and life gets in the way, but I do like fishing and I've done it since I was a kid and I do all sorts of different types of fishing, so whether it's fly fishing or course fishing, um there's always is course some... fishing just means that you're very rude to people. Absolutely. Course fishing comes out no actually if if you do want to know course fishing comes comes down to the coarseness of the fish in terms of eating um so you wouldn't normally eat fish out of lakes and rivers um because they're bony and they feed on muddy you know the, the mud and the weeds so actually eating wise they're not great um although uh lots of countries do eat carp um, and some some countries eat carp for Christmas dinner, Germany notably. Um, so so that's where the name comes from. Um, and this time of year, it's a bit of fly fishing and a bit of bit of course fishing. So hopefully, I've just had a note uh, through from my particular fishing club saying that by next Monday, 
uh, I can get out on a riverbank and or lake bank and um, you know spend some time on my own. And it's quite easy to socially distance when you're when you're fishing or playing golf. No, know, so I, I would imagine that's that's why they've done it. So. Yeah, and and it makes sense because it does feel as though it's giving something. Okay, to I I don't know how many fishermen there are or golf players there are, but I presume fishing is the biggest participation sport in the UK. Right. Okay. By a country mile, bigger than football, cricket put together. Oh, it's huge! It's a billion-pound industry, multi-billion-pound industry. See, if it wasn't for lockdown, we'd never find this out. I'd never <laughs> have known. I'd golf, I don't known. know. I've never played golf. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a very lovely game, but I've never, I've never picked up a golf bat, so I wouldn't know. A golf bat? You, you <laughs> look for the cheap jokes. <laughs> seems to be, a, seems to be a game played by men with small balls. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> you you have an aversion to balls other than footballs, don't you? And cricket balls. Yeah, yeah, okay. And but you're very rude about rugby balls as well. Well, it's it's it's, it's a game played by men with odd shaped balls. <laughs> this is starting to get into you know Little Britain or Little Chelsea. Egg chasing. <laughs> I can't. I, I don't mind watching rugby. I never played it at school. I didn't go to a posh school like you, so I never. I never played it at school. So I think unless you play a sport when you're a kid, it's difficult to find a real affinity with it. And like I played cricket and I played and I played football. So so I've always loved it, but I never. I, I never really played it. So therefore, never really got to understand the rules properly. I watched the Six Nations and the World Cup and things like that and quite enjoy it. Um, but I've never been to a rugby game, and I've never played it. I don't. Did you, did you play at your posh school? Oh yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, we used to play rugby and hockey. Um, yeah. Both sports. Well, we played like- hockey. I was very good at hockey. I played in goal. I broke my jaw playing hockey in three places. Had to had to have my jaw wired up. I I, I played uh, in goal too. Um, I I love being in goal, especially in the old days when you got all that equipment and nobody minded you going through the centre forward <laughs> and, and you could kick the ball in the air as well, which was great. And I had these these um, strap on sort of shoe coverings that were. Yeah. St- Steel toe capped. I remember and them. And well. get it right, you could kick it all the way to the halfway line in the air, and it was so satisfying. But when we played, masks were optional. Um, yeah. So, anyway. so that's why I broke my jaw. I was playing in goal, and it was actually in the warm up, and people were sort of whacking the ball into the net, and I turned my head, and one just came and smashed me in the face, <laughs> and um, yeah, I really smashed my jaw up. Yeah, but I mean, which hell- is why I look weird now, probably. Well, let's not forget, helmets were used to be optional in cricket, you know. I mean, exactly. I still don't wear a helmet. Yeah, I got, I got knocked out in the nets once, you know, when I got a, a bouncer to the head. Um, like you, I got an injury in... in so um, like a, just a decent ball on a length to you then? Yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> don't matter. No, normally a decent ball on a length, I quite happily, you know, just would go over my head. No, when you you're know. only four foot eight, anything's a bouncer, <laughs> isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, well, yes, it's it's true. But no, most of the time I'd, I'd manage to avoid them. But at school, we used to get up, a few of us used to get up at five in the morning and go out and have a net before breakfast because it was a, a fun thing to do. There's nothing like having an early morning net, I have to say. Mm. So, um, and actually, I bust both wrists um, playing in goal at hockey as well. Did so, you? Yeah. It's a, it's a deceptively dangerous game. I, don't wear a, I've n- I never wore a, a helmet playing cricket when I was growing up, so I don't wear one now, which is probably quite stupid. But, of course, all kids that come into the game now have to wear them by law. All under-18s have to wear them. So they grow up wearing helmets, so they all wear them. Old codgers like me go out with our sort of sun-bleached caps and um you know just a target for for you know uh strong young fast bowlers who aim at us i i thought you were going to go with my sun streaked blonde locks and i was going to go no 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 this is dreaming now but <laughs> yeah not for not for a while <laughs> yeah exactly so what did you make of this week um the news this weekend um we'll get on to the implications for football later but did you welcome the news? Did you find it confusing? How did you, as a, a guru of messaging, take the way the messaging was handled? Anybody that follows me on social media will tell you that they already know what I think about the messaging. I thought the messaging was awful. I thought it was amateur hour. I don't like the stay alert, save lives thing. I don't, I don't think it's a call to action. I don't think that it... It doesn't really mean anything. It's just words. It doesn't have that level of um, 
clarity that I think we need at a time like this. I thought the Prime Minister's statement on Sunday was confusing um, and lacked any kind of clarity. And I thought the um, the statement that he made uh, yesterday afternoon in the Commons was equally muddy. So I think there's a lot of people out there going, OK, so I can go to work, but only if I can't work from home. And if it's, how do I know it's safe? And am I allowed to go on the bus? Because I can go on the bus, but I shouldn't be allowed to go on the bus. And what if I can't get childcare? And when are my kids going back to school? Apparently it's only year one and year six. Or what about secondary? I mean, it's all this stuff left hanging about, oh, you can all go out, but you can see one member of your family, but only if you socially distance from two metres. You know, a lot of people say to me, well, it's common sense. Well, yeah, to a degree, it's common sense. But common sense has got to be guided by the official line. And I'm not sure that we all really know what the official line is. It seems that there's a lot of bet hedging going on. And I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to get into any level of party political statement because I don't think this is an appropriate forum for that. Um, I'm just talking about it purely from a communications point of view. I don't think that we're getting the kind of leadership that we need at a time of crisis, particularly on a comms level. I would agree with you. And I would say I, I totally agree about not getting into the whole party. This party will do this, that party. I think, you know, th- what I think everything needs. Uh, and it's, it's also this tying up with VE Day and everyone comparing it to the war, which I, I think is wrong because this isn't like a war in, in, the, in the sense of world wars and uh, and what have you but what got us through that the only thing i would say that is is worth thinking about is what got everyone through that was unity and people working together to make things happen and i, I do fear that an awful lot of countries are doing their own thing rightly or wrongly and there is no joined up thinking across the globe and i think that is where We've got the biggest problem, and that's where we could learn something from the behaviour during the war, is to find a way to communicate, to connect thinking, and to work together. Because this isn't just something that affects country A and country D. This seems to have affected every single country in the world. Yeah, it does. And, and if we can learn anything from the war, their communications were very good. Very, very simple messaging. Very, very clear calls to action. Um, everybody knew what they were expected to do and what they weren't allowed to do and what their country needed them to do. Um, and now we live in an age with so much more technology, so much more sophistication, and we seem to be going backwards on the actual messaging. And I think you're absolutely right. The lack of joined up thinking is down to the rise of populist politics and people creating isolationist states you know so so essentially the whole focusing on on your own country whether that's make america great again or what's happening through other countries in europe is is stopping that international dialogue Um, and that's a shame and again that's not a political point that's a fact you know that the if you if you create isolationist policies you're going to be isolated in in a crisis and you know it just just bewilders me that we have all the ability to communicate in such such real time at the moment and yet we can't get the basic messaging right do you think actually in some ways that you would respect those that are making decisions more if they said look this is really really difficult circumstances we're having to think on our feet we're not quite sure what to do this is our thinking or does that is i presume their thinking is that would imply weakness but sometimes isn't honesty the strongest policy you could have i think this type of communication only works if it has a ring of authenticity around it it has to be authentic it has to be real people have to believe it and trust it and i don't think people do to any great degree because they're always thinking what's the angle what's the spin what's the agenda uh what what are, what 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 are they what are they um countering with it, it doesn't I don't think people are, are taking what is being said on face value. I think they're trying to matriculate all the other stuff that goes along with it, all the other contexts with it. And really what we need is very simple, clear messaging and clear guidance. You can do this. You can't do that. No ifs, no buts. 
And that, I think, that that's not saying people are stupid, because people aren't stupid. People are generally very sophisticated. But I think even sophisticated people can get confused if you don't lay things out in a rational and easily understandable manner. Yeah, and also I, I think people will sorry to interrupt, I think I think also people some people I would probably say the minority of people will look for ways to stretch the boundaries of what's being said and and go as far as they can to manipulate it you know to you know I was out the other day and I saw a group of kids having a game of football and a family of 12 having a picnic and you know this was before any of this any of this was lifted or, or, or stated. And a lot of that was the government saying, we might lift lockdown next week, and the paper's running with it, and, and all the media basically saying, happy days are here, lockdown's going to be lifted. And then the government having to massively backtrack on what they said, but leaving people thinking, well, you know, we, we've been given a lot more freedom, so we're going to basically abuse it. But that's already going to happen even more now, because as you say, under lockdown, things like that were happening. Um, and you only have to look today at the pictures from Paris from yesterday. Um, and the, the, I've been sent photos in Spain. It, it's a real concern that actually we are going for a second spike. And part of me wonders... Is this the herd immunity that they've been searching for, certain people? Well, I don't know, but it, it certainly looks like they are completely freaking out about the economy um, and about how we can sustain the economy through this period and that risks have to be taken, gambles have to be taken. Um, and unfortunately, I think that it's very difficult. I, I mean, I have some sympathy with whoever is trying to lead this crisis because there aren't any clear answers but I think there are measured responses and I don't think some of the responses have been as measured as they should be. No and and in the, the midst of all of this there's still unanswered questions a about who really should be going to work who shouldn't be should sport being played should this be happening we've, we've got so many variables um, and the one Quote, I'm going to read you a quote that, that I read this morning, which is from Danny Rose. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's really interesting how he summed it up. And excuse me for the language, but I'm quoting. Danny Rose said, I don't give a fuck about the nation's morale, bro. People's lives are at risk. Football shouldn't even be spoke about coming back until the numbers, infected or dying, have dropped massively. It's bollocks. And my wife said, Jackie, she said, yeah, well, that's, I understand that because footballers are not the nation's jesters. They're not just there to amuse us. And let's be honest, Danny Rose hates football. <laughs> yeah, but there's he, also that. But well, he does. Was, I mean, he's, yeah. he's somebody that said he can't wait to retire. You know, he, he, he's, you know, he thinks that football's a ridiculous game and he's only playing it because he gets paid loads of money. I mean, Danny Rose is one of those anomalies as a footballer who actually tells it like it is. I mean, I like his statement and, and I totally agree with the sentiment. But, you know, Danny Rose is Danny Rose, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, Kyle Walker, Walker advising you on what to do on a night in. You Kyle know? Walker bleating <laughs> on about how he's been harassed. You know, stop acting like a bellend then, Kyle, and then you won't get harassed. It's simple, isn't it, really? Is bellend your most used word during lockdown? Bellend uh, and and probably the c word. But yeah, but I mean, I mean, Danny Rose. Surprisingly, for the the reasons you've just said, he does come out with a point, doesn't he? That this has to be the the first thing we look at because we've had Brighton footballers going down with it in the last few days. It, it just feels as though there is going to have to come a moment where everyone goes, that's it. I mean, I've, I've already been reading last night about the fact that no matter what happens, because it's not the product that was advertised, at least 350 million will probably have to go back to broadcasters. Yeah, look, it's, it's all about money. We're just we're going to go over and over old ground if we talk hmm. about it on that point of view. But yes, I mean, it's... No, but you're there's, hearing there's no point. figures now. Yeah, I know. But it, I mean, we've, we've always had that billion pound figure you know, in, 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 the, in the back of our mind of, of, of money that's been, money that might have to be sent, you know, sent back. I don't see any value in keep going over it. We, we know what we feel, but I think both of us feel that we can only go back to it when it's 
uh, when it's safe. The the league. I, suppose, I don't know what you think, but my, my, I think we should void the league because this isn't the league that we started. We're, we've been over this over the previous weeks. Yeah, people sure. Bo- people are getting bored of it. I yeah, thought, no, it's you know. true. You know, and I, and I think you know, in terms of should the games be played, pff, I'm kind of I, I kind of got to the point now where I'm like I don't care. They're not. They're not. It's not. It's not the games that I would pay to see or want to see. If they're doing it out of administration and 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 money, I'll watch them. I might get vaguely excited about them. I'm not looking forward to them. It just. It's just. It doesn't inspire me at all. That's not football. That's not the football that I follow. No, and I, I think what we need to do is draw a line under it. And we need to get to working out how the hell we start next season. Because irrespective of of what's going on at the moment, we're not even sure next season will start correctly. So if it starts with new rules, then perhaps that whole season has to be played under those rules by by your thinking, which is if you change the the competition at some point through the season, it's not the same competition. So that's not correct. If we start off next season with no crowds, how do you change to having crowds, say, halfway through it? I can't see that it works. Well, crowds is just one element of it. Of I mean, course. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think that it's not the same competition because there's no crowds. I mean, I think that's, that's an element of it. It's no competition because we've had so long off that we might be playing the games at neutral venues you know that we might be playing twice a week and you know, all that stuff that that's a different competition than what we started with the no crowds thing is just a byproduct of it you know if we end up playing um a consistent competition for 38 games um uh, you know and and there's no crowds i still think it's the same competition at the moment it isn't though because we started that we started the league in one way, and we're aiming to finish it in another way. So how can that have any integrity? Yeah, I'm using crowds just as one example. I know, I know you change. are. So yeah. I know, I know yeah. you are. But it, I just think it's, 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 a lot more, it's a lot more complex than no, the no crowds. The no crowds thing is just irritating. It's, it's the actual... It's the actual... Um, I mean, for example, what happens to these players? What happens to, to, to players that have been signed? Do they join now? Do they, can they play now? So therefore, it's a different competition, isn't it? Yeah, and, and players disappear from one club, turn yeah. up at another. Exactly, you know, yeah. what happens with William? What happens, you know, with Zayek? These, you, you cannot, there has to be a cut-off point where they have to go, it just isn't going to happen, and we've got to take our medicine, whichever way it falls. Yep. That's what I think. So, so yeah, well, look, um, what we should do is we should go to... Um, Nizar Kinsella. Um, he sent us a clip. It's a bit shaky, but it's, a, it's just a minute and a half of him chatting to uh, Jesper Gronkjaer about that moment, the billion-dollar goal that we talked about last week. And then following that will be Nizar's report from this week. So here you go, Jesper and then Nizar. Uh, all the staff, the one sitting in the administration, we all knew it was an important game. But obviously, we did not know how important it would be. At the time, I just remember there being rumors about uh, big, big financial problems. Uh, you know, some some talks in the corners about uh, not being the money for the salary for next month. That was just the rumors I remember. But we could not imagine Abramovich coming in and looking at the game and uh, knowing that uh, so much would change. Um, so we knew for us as a group of players, for us qualifying for the Champions League was really important for the club, money-wise for the, the club to, yeah, I mean, without Abramovich, money-wise for the club to, to get more financial secure uh, for the next season. We know, it knew it was important, but not about Abramovich, nobody would you were just thinking about sort of getting enough money to pay the bills in the club rather than, you know, having any vision of a billion pounds. I can't really, yeah, but I can't really say that because, yeah. because I don't know. But it was just the feeling I think we had at the time. And I think, uh, yeah. of course, we knew from, from the manager, we knew from Ken Bates, we knew from the papers. Uh, if you look at the articles back from May, 2003, you will find exactly the same. Uh, the Chelsea were struggling. Uh, but I can't even remember me thinking that the club were for sale. 
Hi guys, this is Nizar Kinsella, Goals Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. I say reporting because, uh, yeah, we've not got that much going on at the moment, uh, you know, with lockdown going on. But yeah, things are changing. Uh, I mean, Boris Johnson's big announcement on Sunday um, really will have knock-on effects for football. And, and, you know, the signal is that football can continue um, after June the 1st. So that's something that um, I guess is is going to change the dynamic going on at all football clubs, including Chelsea, um, which we'll have to report on. Um, Chelsea have got certain sort of challenges right now. You know, uh, several players are in quarantine because they've travelled back to the UK from being with their families during the period of, uh, you know, s- uh, strict lockdown. Um, that's players, including the Spanish guys. Uh, you know, a lot of them went over overseas and, and came back. And then you've got Christian Pulisic, who's in America, William and Emerson. They were both in Brazil. And, and Andreas Christensen was back in Denmark, experiencing their lockdowns there. So these guys have all come back. And, and with government guidelines, not Premier League guidelines, but government guidelines, they've had to sort of stay in lockdown for 14 days since their return. So, yeah, I think, you know, by the time that um, they, the teams might be training, they might be out of it. So that's something that will will happen. Um, there's also a case of, uh, you know, how, how teams go about training. A lot of that's being worked out now with the Premier League. Um, you know, I think there's going to be sort of strict regulations for them to follow during this period. Um, and, yeah, I think we all have opinions on whether... Or not, it's a good idea to start. But, yeah, for me, reporting on that's been part of my job. Um, There's been a bit of, you know, youth recruitment going on behind the scenes at Chelsea. Not really senior recruitment. It's all slowed down. But there's a bit of youth uh, recruitment, especially with, you know, Brexit coming into effect. And overseas players going to be harder to sign, you know, that age group. Um, You know, you can't really sign any underage players now unless they're over 18, uh, whereas it was 16 before with the European Union. So, Chelsea and other big clubs are looking to do business in that area. Um, yeah, that, that's a, that, that's by the by, really. And then, you know, for me, otherwise, I've, I've got doing some interviews. I've, I've shared a little clip with you of Jesper Gronkia. Uh, he scored the billion-pound goal, as some call it, uh, that, that sort of helped Chelsea be in a great position for Roman Abramovich to come and take over, um, you know, when, when he changed the club forever. So that's uh, that was an interesting interview, and I hope you like the clip. Um, hopefully more to come. I'm trying to interview a member of Lampard's coaching staff from Derby County, which would be interesting to learn about his behind-the-scenes techniques. So hopefully share a bit of that with you. Uh, and done some interviews with ex-Chelsea players as well recently. So all great stuff. And, uh, yeah, hopefully um, people will keep reaching out to me and doing these kind of things. It's great to see. All the best, guys. Cheers. And we're back again. Apologies for the audio, but Nizar, as he says, you know, he records these things more for notation, but it's just interesting to hear. And um, it, it, it still stays in our mind as one of the most important Chelsea moments. Um, I watched the whole game two days ago. Did you? It was on, it was on Sky, all 90 minutes of it, you know, the full game. And it was great. It was great to watch. I mean, there was some yeah, really interesting. I mean, Emmanuel Petit played the whole game in that game, and he was great. He was really good. Um, you know, there were some other. Graham Lasseau had a brilliant game. Um, Desai's goal from I've forgotten how far out it was. It was like sixteen yards out. I mean, it was really interesting to watch the game in full rather than just the highlights. I'm loving doing this at the moment. It's a real it's a real treat because you, you get taken right back to you know to, to that period. Well, I haven't I haven't really sat down with any of the games and watched them. Oh you in should. Full. They're great. I mean yeah. just you know, get a cup of tea and, and, and just, just absorb ninety minutes of a of a of a football match from twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, whatever it is, you know. Yeah, I, I watched the first half of the cup final replay and then I got sidetracked, had to go and do something else. But I, I, I know what you mean. There, there is something deeply satisfying about the fact you're not watching just highlights. Yeah, you've, I mean, you've got to look at it as I'm, I'm going to watch a film. You know, I'm going to sit down and watch the whole thing. I'm not going to just dip in and out of it. It's, I'm going to watch it as if I was watching it on a Sunday afternoon or at the ground, you know, and absorb yourself into it. Because you quickly forget it was years ago because, you know, you were at the game and, and it all comes back to you. And it's great seeing those players and thinking, God, those players were. Graham Lasseau was really good. Yeah. You know, um, Graham Lasseau would get into this team now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Emmanuel Petit, I, th- I think he gets. Forgotten. I mean, we got him. At, yeah, we got him at the very end of his career when he, when he, you know, when his legs were going. But you know, he's he was still an immensely classy player. Oh, you also forget about the game. Carlo Cudicini almost almost gifted the game to Liverpool because he dropped the ball. Um, when it came over and it was poked into the net, but it was a judge to handball, which was marginal. So, I mean, I'd completely forgotten that, for example. Oh, my God. I might have to go and look it up and go and, go and watch it again because it's probably available still to view. So Yeah, it's, it's on the – go to catch up on Sky. Yeah, sounds good. In fact, you know, just, just talking about Jesper Gronkjaer as well, we got a, uh, one of our first questions – or our first question – was from Christian Scheffel, who actually firstly says, um, talking about Gronkia, and I presume he's from Denmark, um, says, after 18 months touring the Midlands, Spain and Germany, Gronkia went back to Denmark while still in his prime and played for FC Copenhagen for five years as consistently the best player in the Danish Super League. There you go. It's amazing, isn't it? Because as you said last week, he was so inconsistent. You'd see most incredible things from him, and then he'd disappear for the next 89 minutes or whatever. Well, even in that game, he was giving the ball away and not tracking back, and then, but then put the beautiful cross in for Desai. It was him who put the cross in for Desai's yep. first goal and, and then scored the goal. You know, so it could have a huge impact on a game, but counterbalance that by being unbelievably lazy or profligate with the ball. Or making incredibly bad decisions. You know, he was a very frustrating player. Yeah, and I guess in in a weird way, we didn't have so many. Are there other players who frustrated you as much that came after Gronkia? Is there anyone that comes to mind that you think, oh, he was frustrating? Mm. I can, I can't think of anyone. I think since that period, maybe that's what's happened under the Abramovich era. Era is we had more consistency which is why we won an awful lot more i mean there are i mean i i uh it sounds terrible but i'm not a massive fan of just pure flair players i find them irritating i mean yes they're brilliant i mean i for example i i mean this is sacrilege but i found joe cole irritating on quite a lot of occasions because he could do brilliant things and he was a great reader of the game and all those things. But at certain points in games, he would, he would make the most ridiculous decisions or, or not track back or, or not do his job. And I know that was a constant frustration of, of Mourinho's as well. Callum Hudson, Adoy, frankly, needs to up his game on that level and become more, more consistent. And we've spoken about Callum and we know that he's had injuries and he's a young player, but I would hate for him to turn out to be a show pony. You know where he's just comes on, and we ooh and ah at the stepovers and the ability to go past people, but there's no final product. So it's it's all about final product for me, and I think that's what what frustrates me about those those pure flair players. Oh, not to say not to say that I don't love them as well, <laughs> but it's a lo- it's a love. It can sometimes be a love hate relationship. Oh, you're so miserable with your. Watching. It's not miserable. <laughs> it's not uh, genuinely not miserable. It's just it's just. I mean, if you're honest, we've had the conversations about Joe Cole. You and I have had those conversations about Joe Cole and about about the fact that he could could at time we we sort of we remember the amazing goal against Manchester United. We remember times when you know he went past players, but we forget all the times that he didn't rise to his potential. And uh, no, I, I I would agree with that. And I'll never forget that moment when Mourinho hoiked him off, you know, in the first half. It, it, I'd never seen anyone treated like that on yeah. a football pitch because it was so it was so sudden. It was just that's it. You're off. Um, mm. Yeah, I, f- I found that quite. Uh, a strange I mean, Joe, Joe Joe Cole is 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 a just one of those players that I look back with incredible fondness. With the with the you know with the benefit of hindsight and rose coloured spectacles and watching those games in retrospect and and seeing what he did, but I, I can I have to be honest at the time in the stand sometimes I have to really bite my lip because you're thinking God just do the simple thing you know just just you know don't don't be a show pony all the time yeah. just try and you know just just play play to the to the tactics or whatever it is you know maybe that's just me. I'm yeah. sure I'm going to get a load of abuse from people now. But I'm, ke- you know, I'm Bill Joe Cole. Yeah. He's having a pop at Joe now. You're not real chills. 
<laughs> You're not proper chills, mate. I'm in a pop at Joe. <laughs> well, okay. Well, moving on. Get you out of this quick before you just bring it down upon your own head. I mean, Eden Hazard. Come on. I mean, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with it. Waste of time. That money we spent, never worth a penny. Um, Christian also gets the first question this week when he okay. says, I'd like a, another look at historical stuff. Underappreciated players of the decade from the seventies and forward, I suppose. All right. So, so um, I I don't mind starting us off here. Um, Go on. You do nineteen seventy. There's nineteen seventies. Okay. Well, I'm doing kind of. I've got two crossover periods here. So I've got from the the seventies, but he played. Hang on North- a minute. Were well, you making up the rules again? Yeah. Of explain, explain this. Well, you just go with it. Okay, my 70s player would be Marvin Hinton, although okay. he played an awful lot of the 60s. Super sub. Yeah, Marvin Hinton, well, he played an awful lot of first-team games as well, you know. He, I did. He was a very, very solid, and I think one of the most overlooked players of, of that, that, that era. People forget that he was in the FA Cup side. Pretty much everyone else. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, he was, well, that's because he was coming closer to the end of his career as well. But marvellous player. Yeah, um, no, he, I, 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 I always liked Marvin Hinton. I thought he was a, 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 a good call, actually. And it's a great the 70, name. Yeah, for the 70s, I went with Tommy Langley, who uh, ended up scoring 43 goals in 150 games for Chelsea. Played in a really poor Chelsea side. Um, but I just think if he'd have played in a better side, he would have really shone out as a one of the really good, promising Chelsea strikers. Oh yeah, he he was fantastic. I, 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 Player of the year in 1976. Yep, I, I think I saw his debut as well. Um, at Stamford Bridge, and he was he was he was a wonderful player. Knew where the goal was. Uh, thoroughly thoroughly good good player. Local boy. Yeah, my, my um, okay. So this is where because I had Marvin Hinton who played more of the sixties and as my seventies player. My guy who played in the seventies, but he also touched the eighties, was Ian Britton. Mm. I I always liked Ian Britton. He mm. he was tireless. He did so much work, and especially through some very dark years of, of Chelsea Football Club. Mm. I don't know whether you remember him very well. I remember him. I wasn't a huge fan. He, he, had the, right. he, oh, he had the most incredible hair as well. Ludicrous hair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you couldn't get away with that now. In fact, you couldn't even really get away with it then. Um, I, um, uh, I've also gone for a crossover player, actually. Um, a player that made his debut in the 1980s, made his debut in 1988, was my mate David Lee, who's another player who I thought was an incredibly classy player, uh, who sort of played a sweeper role for Chelsea for most of his, his time there. He made a, almost 200 appearances for Chelsea. Um, and sort of flourished initially under the, um, the, the call it Viali period, um, and then got some terrible injuries and, and sort of faded away after that. But I always thought he was a really classy central defender um, who was often overlooked in that star-studded um, sort of revolutionary team of the mid-90s. I, he, I, I would have picked him, actually, as my player for that period, um, but I didn't because I knew you would. Um, <laughs> but, but he was... He, he classy was a very good way of putting it. He always struck me as though he could have been a real, real proper sweeper in the old-fashioned yeah. type of. Not saying he was like him, but the idea of a Beckenbauer. Yeah, you know, had that, Rodders. Yeah, Rodders. He had that ability. But but my nineties pick was Erland Jonsson. Erland, yeah, the Ice Man. <laughs> the Ice Man. I, you know. I mean, he played so many games for us, and you forget about him. No, and, I loved him. <clears throat> yeah, I did as well. He was he was nails. And Norwegian, wasn't he? And that penalty. Do you remember? That penalty against... Uh, well, the, the penalty he won against Leicester, that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which it's, uh, I, can't, I commentated on that game for Radio Chelsea. It was one of my early games that I commentated on. It was a brilliant game, that was. Um, and, yeah, it was uh, Frank LeBeouf who scored the penalty to take us through. In the cup, wasn't it? So yeah, it was. Semi was a semi. Was it? A, no, it wasn't a semi. I think Maybe it was. It was, it was a semi. It, yeah. yeah, I think it was. I may be wrong, yeah. but I think it was. No, it was the semi. It was the yeah. semi, and then we went on to to beat Borough in the final, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting, actually, because my player was Eddie Newton. 
Eddie Newton, who scored scored the second goal in that cup final in 1997. But you know, again, a, Hammer, a Hammersmith boy, just a you know a metronome of a player in midfield. Um, always kept it simple. Um, I remember him telling me once that Rude Hullett's only instruction to him was, "I never want to see you in front of the ball." So, you know, he was always, you know, keeping the tempo going, really good feet, scored that iconic goal. Um, just a, a great player. But again, a, a player whose, whose career was probably cut short by injuries. And you can never forget the 360 degree turn that he always used to do. The only <laughs> player I ever knew who did that. He always used to do it. I Took him about it. half an hour as well. <laughs> but he'd still have the ball at the end. Uh, okay so the two and he ran funny as well it was funny it was ran funny he had a sort of running a a weird gait when he ran his legs sort of went outwards when he ran yeah okay well moving on to the 2000s uh do you want to go first jeremy jeremy okay jeremy 6.9 million from real madrid in 2003 premier league winner 2005 2006 seriously underrated player um, always came on, always did a job, humble, workmanlike, never gave us any trouble. I think Mourinho saw him as the ideal utility player um, and hugely overlooked uh, in a team that just contained superstar after superstar, Jeremy. Yep, I'll go with that. I, <laughs> he was he was one of the really compact player, wasn't he? But he had such strength about him. You he could, could play right wing, he could play right back, he could play centre mid. He, you know, he was a really good player for slotting in when you needed him. Yep, I'll go with that. Okay, well, mine is Mario Melchior. Mario, he's, he played really well in that, um, that game we were talking about, the Liverpool game. Yeah, and I And the billion dollar him. game. Played really well at right back. Uh, he was super nice, super, yeah. super guy. I, I love classic, him. classy. Yeah, he was, and again, he suffered with injuries, sadly. Um, but he well, was, he didn't. He, he his start with us was really delayed because he was injured, wasn't he? Didn't we sign right. him, and then he didn't play for about six months because he was injured. Yeah, that's right. He he had a bad injury, and then finally we got sight of him, and he was fantastic, um, yeah. wonderful player. And, and of course, you know, we've got two Mario's. We've got <laughs> two Mario's. Stanich. Yeah, and and that goal. He came that, on as a sub in that game. Yeah, well, well, that goal Stanich scored. Oh, anyway, but uh, but yeah, Mario Melchior, he makes my underappreciated player. Okay, 2010s. Mine is not... It's hard, isn't it? I think this player is underappreciated by Chelsea fans, and I'm going to go with Nemanja Matic, because I think that he, for me, was one of the best signings we made in that period. Obviously, he he was with us when he was a kid, um, and then we, we... sent him away didn't we? we sent him off to Benfica and then we had to buy him back from Benfica for 21 million quid in 2014 he only played three seasons for us before going on to United but I thought he was awesome in midfield throughout that period he got quite a lot of stick from Chelsea fans um, but I just thought he was awesome and, and was just a just a brick wall in midfield um, and I remember him really fondly, and, I, and as I say, I just think he's he's definitely underappreciated. Although I think, in retrospect, a lot of people will realise that he was better than they gave him credit for. But I think that he was absolutely fabulous player. Well, that first year he came back, uh, there was that game. I think it was Man City when he absolutely had Yaya Torre for breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner. Well, he's man of the match in that game, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he was fantastic. No, he was he was fantastic. But there was yeah. obviously something that wasn't right. For him at Chelsea, when we got rid of Mourinho um, that second time, and he didn't fit in and he needed to get out, which I yeah. thought was such a shame, because I agree with you. He was amazing. He was wonderful. But the he, spider. Yeah, he did. He, he, but he, he lost his way in that, that final season with us, sadly. Yeah. Um, okay, my pick is, it was difficult. I had a choice here, I thought, um, but I'm going to go with John Obi Mikel. Um, I, I Out of the match th- in the Champions League final. Absolutely, but I think people forget it. I think I think people forget what an amazing service he did for Chelsea in the fact that when we bought him, he was an attacking player. He was like a number 10. And we got him and said, yeah, no, we don't want any of that. You're going to come and do a different job. And he never complained about it, and he stuck to it. And if you ever watch Nigeria play, 
it was like watching a different player. He'd be dribbling yeah. through three or four players. He'd be banging them in left, right and centre. And he just knuckled down to it and did the job. And when he became our go-to sub, he seemed to do that with good grace as well. So 20 from, minutes to go, bring yeah, John Obi on. Exactly. You know, and I think a lot of people do not understand how difficult it is and also how responsible you have to be as a player to be a completely different player than the one you actually are to fit mm-hmm. into the team and what the team needs from you. Yeah, no, good call. And, uh, you know, as I say, he was head and shoulders above anybody else on that Champions League final. And for that alone, he deserves a statue. Excellent. <laughs> I, I would, come on, let's have a campaign for a statue. Even, I think even he would be a bit surprised about that. But I'm with you. Let's do it. All right, well, while we mull over the way to get the statue erected in time for the time we go back to Chelsea, it's time for our break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Well, I'm still thinking about the statue. I think it'd be great. Have you had any more thoughts? Anyone else you'd give a statue to that you didn't mention last week? Uh, oh, I think there's plenty of candidates, but I think we, 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 you know, we, we, we mentioned the obvious ones. Um, you could probably make a case for Di Matteo for his goal in the, uh, in the 1997 FA Cup final. Just a classic you know, action statue. Oh my because God. that was that was such a moment for us. I think after twenty, however many years it was, twenty-seven years of, yeah. of of hurt. Absolutely, you know, and and also the fact that so many people missed the goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but uh, Jackie and I managed to see it thankfully because we were being good and taking our seats. But talking to Di Matteo, that actually brings us neatly into the next question from Matt Lowe, who said. I'd like you to talk about that most crazy of seasons, 2012-2013. I thought we weren't going to do this, Kerry. Oh, weren't we? No, well, because we were going to save that for next week, weren't we? Are we? Are we going to yeah. save it? I, I, I thought I said we would do it. but No, okay, let's, save it for, do... let's, save, let's save it for next week. Cause, All right, um... Matt, we'll do yours next week. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, mate. No, okay. I th- I... That's, that's one of those things I'd like to have a little bit of time looking into and, and refreshing my memory on. Okay, well, fair enough. That's that's what we'll do. Okay, well, the next set of questions comes from Brian Elijah, who says, have you got any good match day suggestions for people coming from abroad to attend their first Chelsea match? Do you, we've, we've talked about this a bit in the past, but his next question is, should one's first match be a home or away match? Obviously Sh- at home. Has to be, doesn't it? You know, well, it, I don't... I, yeah, I mean... I, I can understand why you'd want to go to an away game because you know away games are more usually more intense than than the home experience and you're standing with you know the real hardcore of the support who want to make a lot of noise and sing and stand up and that's a brilliant experience but I don't think you know if it's your first game you really need to come and see it at the bridge you yeah. need to experience that yeah that's that's family you know that's 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 you're a Chelsea fan. That's your family. You need to go in there and, and be part of that and celebrate that. Oh, I'd agree. I, I think that's the only way you can really understand the team because you're, you're an enclave of, yes, you're loyal supporters away from home, but it's not the same. When you've got that whole ground or three quarters of the ground singing for Chelsea, there is nothing like it. And, you know... Uh, I, that is a sound I miss. That that just you know. The, is there a particular song that you find yourself really missing hearing at key moments? 
Uh, like 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 what for example well, sorry. Uh, well, okay it's like when we're in trouble i always find down our end we get that chelsea 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 that almost drone chelsea almost well, i think chelsea when we're in trouble win. what what i notice when we're in trouble is come on chelsea yeah you know, which is you know it's just so dull isn't it I think we need to freshen up the songs a little bit and, you know, and, and have a little bit of an audit of our songs and make sure that we're, you know, that, I mean, people can sing what they want, obviously. And, but, I mean, some of them are getting a little bit a little bit tired. The Gerard song, for example. Yeah. And, you know, that's, do we need to still be singing that? You know, um, you know, so there's a load of players out there that need songs. We should be thinking of songs for certain players that haven't got them. Lockdown um, songs. That's what we, lockdown lyrics. That's what yeah. we need for Chelsea players. I think you're right, because I think there's a lot of players who don't get a song or they get one that we've heard before. They've yeah. just changed the name. And, you know, um, it's interesting because Bryant's next question is, who writes the supporter chancel songs? Who knows? Is who the knows? They just no, it's appear. a mystery. They're... It's a mystery. I mean, you know, these, these songs, they, they, they have many fathers, lots of people to, cl- you know, claim to have written particular songs a, a lot of songs are versions of other team songs you know i mean they're 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 kind of they're they're mashups or interpretations of other team songs like for example the david louise song you know you know uh was a was i think originally a newcastle song um and and you know so you go to an away game you pick up a you know an opposition team song and you turn it into your own and you you know put your imprint on it and the the really original new songs are quite rare yeah it's true it's very rare you know uh, that suddenly i can't think of any of them but it's absolutely true um going back to the the match day suggestions um what people should do when they come for the first match I don't know what you're like if you get time, because I know you travel a lot to away games. So quite often you're there in good time. Do you like to take in the atmosphere by wandering around the ground and the, and the environs of the stadium? Or do you just take games. a seat? No, away games. I'm, I'm just thinking about when you go to away games. Depends where the away game is, mate. I mean, if it's Stoke, you want to get there as late as possible because it's like there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing to do. Um, you know, I mean, there's other, other places. I mean, if it's a fair old trek, I'll often stay the night. You know, I'll often either go up the night before or, or stay the night after the game in a travel lodge or a Premier Inn. And that gives you an opportunity to have a wander around i went to hull for example you know a few months ago and spent some time walking around hull which is surprisingly nice you know a a a former city of culture so um that was nice i'd never been there before um but there's there's other places that are just on godforsaken industrial estates or you know out on the fringes of the town and the town isn't any particularly nice so you know you get there you park up you see the game and you go home um so it really does depend on on what the stadium is yeah, and I guess if you're coming to Chelsea for the first time, if you get there early, you can walk around, you can go to the club shop, you can walk around the ground, get a, a feeling for the atmosphere, the yeah, pictures go to the, the museum, wall. you know, there's, 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 there's a whole bunch of stuff to do. You know, Chelsea itself is nice, you know, there's some nice, you know, shops to go to and, you know, decent mall to get some food and or you can have some street food or, you know, wander up the Fulham Road and do some shopping. I mean, there's lots of things you can do. Um, and the actual ground itself is, you know, you can wander around there and there's things on the wall to read and, you know, even getting into the ground early and, you know, just soaking up the atmosphere is just worth doing. I mean, we take it so much for granted because we've been hundreds and hundreds of times. But to go for the first time, I think, just go and just go and soak it up and that that's my point in a way is that a, a lot of away grounds you go yeah i want to get there as late as possible because there's nothing to do i would suggest that chelsea does have an awful lot for people who come there early there's lots of food stalls there's yeah. so many pubs around the the outside of, of the ground you can get a drink in there there's so much you can do if you're a chelsea fan you can buy a sandwich and sit in brompton cemetery i mean it's lovely i mean there's there's yeah you're right i mean for example if you if you contrast that to going to see leicester for example um, you know, you park up at Leicester and it's, there's nothing around, you know, Filbert Street, is there really? No. Nope. Um, is it Filbert Street? What do they call it? You know, King no, Power. King Stadium. Power. There's, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing around that really, you know, there's a, there's a TGI Fridays and, you know, a couple of fish and chip shops. You wouldn't want to spend any time there as Chelsea, you probably would. Yeah, I would agree. All right. Well, look, we should move on to, uh, this week's first worst and best, which comes from Rob Cummings, who's the secretary of the York Blues. 
Hello, my name is Rob Cummings. I'm a Chelsea fan based in York. I'm also the secretary of the York Blues, Chelsea official Chelsea supporters club. This is my first best and worst Chelsea games. As a slightly younger Chelsea fan, I'm still in my early 30s. Um, my first Chelsea game wasn't actually until September 2006. Uh, my, ma- my dad was a Man United fan. Therefore, I didn't actually get to go to games until I turned 18. And my first game was the Champions League group stage game against Werder Bremen in September 06 at the Bridge. Um, a fairly standard 2-0 win for us. And the game was nothing to write home about. But as with a lot of Chelsea fans, I remember feeling the excitement as I walked uh, down Fulham Broadway. Saw the ground for the first time. Very exciting occasion for me. I was sat in the East Lower um, with a spare ticket that I'd got from a friend. And the game was really enjoyable um, and certainly got me wondering what I'd missed out for so long. My best Chelsea game was... It's probably a tough one. I'm going to go with the League Cup final victory in 2007 against Arsenal in Cardiff. First final that I've been to in my first proper season as a fan. Fantastic weekend. Um, Drogba scoring two goals. I remember Cardiff being a wonderful city. Very central. Um, so I remember going to a massive Weatherspoons pub before and after the game, enjoying some great celebrations with some of the York crew that I knew. Having a really good weekend, lots of alcohol, celebrating um, sharing that loved interest for Chelsea, dancing to Chelsea dagger at full time. Um, also remember how great the Millennium Stadium was. I kind of enjoyed that final there probably more than I enjoy the finals at Wembley these days. Although winning a trophy is always good. My worst Chelsea game is probably going to be the Barcelona semi-final from 2009. There will certainly be older Chelsea fans who've seen us lose to Grimsby and Scunthorpe who can probably better that. Just for the heartache of it and the injustice. Um, the refereeing that night was a, was abysmal. I remember how slowly injury time was going when we were only 1-0 up. Uh, it just had an inevitability about it that they were going to nip in and get a goal. And unfortunately, so it proved to be. I remember the biggest sign of how bad the game was was the following day. I was actually I actually nipped back to the bridge to get some stuff from the megastore when I was interviewed by Sky Sports. I remember saying how much of an injustice it was and how poor the refereeing was. And I remember a Leeds fan ringing into TalkSport saying how much he hated Chelsea, but that we'd been robbed. And I think that showed just how much and how poor the performance by the referee was that day. The fact that clubs and fans that hated us were still keen to get on and and stress their thoughts on it. Um, However, it's it's similar to losing to United. As the years have gone by, it's softened a little bit since the wonders of Munich. I still find it hard to rewatch that game back, but that is my first best and worst Chelsea games. Thank you. And we're back. Oh, yet again, memory lane, Andy, memory lane. Um, there he talks about uh, the League Cup final 2007 in Cardiff against Arsenal. And he talks about loving Cardiff more than Wembley. Um, what did you think of Cardiff on your travels there? And any memorable experiences down that way? God, we seemed to go there a lot, didn't we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> we seemed to be shuttling back and forth for a few years. I mean, that's great that we were kind of winning stuff. I remember Shev, was it Shevchenko scored on his debut in Cardiff in the in the, um, in the charity shield? shield or charity shield? Yes, he did. Um, I remember getting stuck in some horrific traffic jams getting out of there. Um, I remember uh, that League Cup game and John Terry got kicked in the head and, and sort of came back at the end of the game. Um, I remember uh, Ray Parler scoring against us in the FA Cup final, losing to Arsenal. So, yeah, I've got lots of memories of Cardiff. I like going there, actually. I also remember, I mean, the, probably my clearest memory is that game against Liverpool, Mourinho's first trophy, uh, when we beat Liverpool and Kesman scored. Um, Stevie Gerrard scored an own goal. Um, and that was the first. That was the first trophy of the Mourinho era. That was in Cardiff. Yes, the you so should lots have, of memories. Yeah, Gerard, you should have come to Chelsea. Chance and yeah, all of Mourinho those. turning around and shushing the Liverpool fans and getting into trouble. And yeah, that's I think probably my clearest memory. Yeah, that I, was also that game as well. Was the first time I realised I had a serious eye problem because I uh, came out the ground. I had really bad double vision. Like it happened during the game, and I had to drive back from Cardiff with double vision, like really bad double vision. So basically, drove all the way back 
to where I live with, with one eye closed and um, had got some really bad stigmatism in my eye. The muscle had just completely gone. And um, it was the start of quite a lot of, um, you know, you know, sort of treatment and operations and all sorts of stuff. And it was that game that did it. So it's another thing to blame Liverpool for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you wonder why my Twitter picture is me with a big bandage on my eye, that's why. Yeah, maybe you should take it down now because you can see now and you don't need any more sympathy, do you? Do you? Maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> I, never, I never get any sympathy, mate. <laughs> One-eyed twat is what I normally get. <laughs> well, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to love Cardiff. I think there's something about going to Cardiff. Because, did you go to all those games? Yeah, pretty much apart from the uh How did you do? Did you, did you drive? No, we used to we used to go down and we'd stay. There's a a pub on in Hay on Wye in the middle of nowhere. And um uh we used to that was when it was Phil, myself, Trev, Jackie and a few other people. We we all would go down the night before and stay in this pub which was amazing. because um, you'd just get absolutely hammered. And why was I never invited to this? Uh you were very rude at the time, I think. Um, I think you did get invited, but you, and I think, I my, think kids were, my, my kids were meeting. Me, yeah, and also I think you were a, a sober gentleman at that time. So yeah, and you still are. But still am. Um, yeah, they they were very very messy, and um, yeah, we we used to. Um, you were a sober gentleman at that time. N- uh, was I then? Not quite. Oh, weren't you? Okay. <laughs> no, I think I was still a little bit unsober. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on. That's drunk. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, we used to stay there. It was an amazing place. Um, Trev How knew, far is that from Cardiff? Uh, it's supposedly 40 minutes, but it would take you two hours. So um, you might as well just driven up. On yeah, the exactly. Because it, it, it's one road in, one road out. That's what Cardiff. I thought. I yeah. thought that's not that's not down the road. No, it's not. But it's a lovely place to stop off and right. then get really stressed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. it was really stressful. And um, if I remember rightly, the taxi driver used to take us, always used to say he could get us guns if we needed them. Okay. Well, which was useful. Um, Cardiff is nice, actually, because I go, I go to Cardiff for the cricket occasionally at Sophia Gardens, and it's a nice place to stay. There's lots of stuff to do in Cardiff. It's a really nice place. Yeah, no, it is. It's fantastic. But we had a lovely time there, and... Um, the l- landlord knew us all and um, would just uh, allow us um, to stay up as late as we liked, drinking as much as we'd like. Um, so, yeah, it, it was fun from that point of view. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a hard place to get in and out of, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, it's he also talks in that first, worst and best from Rob and hello to all the York Blues and, and everyone up there in the north. We forget that uh, there's an awful lot of Chelsea fans up north. but um, I don't forget, because I see them at away games. Well, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're always there, and, and that's great to see. It's great to see those, um, you know, those, those ex-London supporters at those games. Yeah, he, he also mentions as his worst game, that game against Barcelona, um, with the Tom Henning of Rebo, who seems to well, be appearing We've mentioned that a few times in, in recent weeks, haven't we, on refereeing decisions. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely put that up there. I mean, I, I've never felt so gutted as when, you know, Michael Essien didn't head it clear, dropped at the feet of Iniesta and he buried it. Oh, well, I, I found this really interesting um, quote in an article um, with Tom Henning of Rebo from Penenka magazine. Um, and he says, and it's quite interesting because he kind of sticks up for himself, but he's also admitting he was completely wrong. And he says, in the space of two hours, I went from being a fairly respected referee to becoming the biggest fool in international football. Wow. And I think hang on there, Tom. Yeah, exactly. And it, actually, he lost the gig for the following World Cup. Yeah, um, which was. Oh, no, I think he retired fairly shortly. Yeah, he did. It finished him. So yeah. you know, something good came out of it. <laughs> so you know, yeah. and also, um, I still think that decision was bent. I still do. I, I still think you know. I mean, I I'm not given to conspiracy theories. But the more I've watched it, and the more I've thought about it over the years, the more I think there was something really iffy going on there. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't. He, they asked him in the interview, but he wouldn't be drawn on that. Well, of course um, he wouldn't, because yeah. it's a criminal act. But you know, yeah. I think that I think that there was an element of something, whether it was undue pressure or, or whatever it was going on there, because four clean cut, stone wall decisions weren't given in that game. Yeah, I, and and they really were. I mean, I, okay, here's a question: If they ran that match in its entirety again, would you be able to watch it? 
Yeah, because isn't that the game that Michael Essien scored the greatest goal <laughs> of all time in? It was, yeah, that was that's true. But I'll never forget the feeling. I watch that. it. I, I watch any of those games. I watch them even if we lose because I, I can find something to enjoy in them. You know, you know, you know what the result is, so you can watch it with a slightly different from a slightly different mental angle, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. And it's weird, isn't it? You you do find yourself going, even though you know what's about to happen. You, There's you, only one game I won't watch and have never watched. Not even the highlights. Moscow is, is, is Moscow. Me neither. I can't. I, it finished me that game for years. Yeah. I can't. I can't watch it. No, me neither. But anything else, I think I can. Yeah. But um, all right. Well, lastly, that's how it starts. Asks because um, I don't know if you've seen recently. There's been this whole thing about how many players, uh, children, were named after Andres in Iniesta after that game, and um, <laughs> the, that's how it asks. How that's how it starts. That's his name. I wonder who gave him that at birth. Um, on Twitter, asks how many ten-year-olds are there in Barcelona named after the referee instead of Iniesta? There's, yeah. there's got to be a, a Tom Henning Gomez, hasn't there, or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there has to be. All right, Andy. Well, look, we're, we're just about out of time now. As usual, it's been uh, another week that's gone by. Week eight, as you say. Um, what are your plans for the coming week? Just more of the same? Or you... Oh, yeah, I'm going to be really busy getting up in the morning and doing nothing. Yeah, but um, don't you have to get all your fishing rods all clean? Well, not till, mon- not till, not till mon- next Monday. That's when, it, that's when, that's when it, um, my fishing club opens its gates again, is next Monday. So for the rest of this week, I'll be, yeah, I'll be doing bits and pieces, but nothing, nothing of any great interest. How about you? Um, yeah, I'll just be getting on with more of the same. You know, I'm, I'm busy writing a, a few things at the moment. Um, we're working on a project with, uh, to help save an endangered species, a bird. I uh, mentioned that in yeah, Samoa. In yeah. Samoa, so we're getting on with that. So, yeah, there's, there's things happening as always. You know, it's like all of us. We've just got to try and find things to do keep ourselves occupied and keep the faith and keep mm. strong so absolutely so yeah. don't forget to uh, follow us on socials if you get a chance so you can follow me uh, on twitter at mr a saunders you can follow kerry uh, on twitter at, at kerry levy that's c-e-r-i-l-e-v-y you can follow kerry on instagram uh, on at kerry levy one you can follow me on instagram at one true saunders and you can follow this podcast on twitter at the chelsea podcast the chelsea pod no the chelsea podcast is that right Chelsea, no, sorry. Chelsea Twitter is at Chelsea Podcast, and um, Instagram is at the Chelsea Podcast. Sorry for that confusion, but yeah, we'd love a few more followers uh, as always, and get in touch and give us some questions and give us some feedback. We love all that. And also, anyone else wants to do first, worst, and best? We're running out. We've only got a few left, so do get in touch. All right, Andy. Thanks as always. Great to chat to you and everyone out there. Keep safe, and we'll see you next week. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.